Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this leadership episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froke, and I'm here with my co-host, Mark Casaglo. And today, a fourth episode, the first episode of 30 MPC all time. Joe Caprio is back on the leadership show. Mark, why should people listen? Listen, well, first of all, it's Joey Caps. And when Joe Caprio gets on a podcast, you better listen. So first, that's the first thing. Here's what I took away is I think that Joe hypothesizes and maybe even has a strong opinion that a lot of advice that you get from investors to early stage founders about how to do and structure deals is totally wrong. And in this episode, he gives a really interesting approach on how to create very creative deals that get customers in the door without sacrificing that year two revenue. It was like step-by-step how to do it. I kind of got blown away. I thought it was awesome. Let's do it. And a three, two, one. Tune into Joey Caps. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Joe, welcome back to the show and your first time on the Leadership Show. We start every episode with your top three actionable leadership takeaways. Let's get your three. Okay, I'm pumped to be here. My three tips are to prioritize pipeline creation. I've worked with some amazing marketers in my career, but in spite of that, I've always made sure that pipeline drives my decision-making, not quota, not forecast. I'm not living off quota coverage. I'm living off pipe coverage. So make sure you have enough pipeline, read traction or Google the bullseye exercise for a shortcut, follow all the LinkedIn thought leaders. We're all giving our secrets away for free online. And then you should be discerning about which, you know, tips you apply and how you apply them. But pipelines, your responsibility is, is tip number one for sure. Boom. What's number two? Tip number two, use AI. I know this is funny to hear, but it is already in your sales stack. 
Outreach and Sales Loft, Chorus and Gong, HubSpot and Salesforce, they're already building in generative capabilities like draft my email, contextualize my notes. So get your sales team to lean into those things and be an early adopter team out of laggard. The purpose-built apps are like a year away at this point, but they already exist. So if you have an issue like filling in the CRM takes too much time, generating good emails takes too much time, refining our business case or our case studies for this particular deal, it takes account research takes too much time. Go find those founders that are building those apps. Find them on LinkedIn right now. They're all pitching Glasswing for VC money and they're all telling me they want to sell through a sales rep like product-led. They want to give you an individual a trial. So go try all these things and be really good at it and then introduce the ones that work to your boss. So be an early adopter if you're an AE. And if you're a sales leader, get your salespeople to trial and test out all these new applications and then mandate that folks are using ChatGPT or like the AI-enabled Google search, but mandate that your employees get good at this because it's a ways out before it's automatic and easy, but the efficiency gains are crazy and they're happening right now. So use AI. Don't be the grandpa sales leader that makes your team send emails one by one because there are still some teams like that today. And that's what's going to happen with AI next. Joe, bring us home. What's number three? All right. My third tip's never going to change. It is multi-thread the entire organization. Like you probably know this as a sales leader, but I promise you the folks coming out of school, the earlier salespeople on your team, they don't get it. You know, they're afraid to go over someone's head. They're afraid to sell around the person that they've met with. But like they just met this person 30 minutes ago. And I'm telling you right now, I haven't taken a first call with the sales team in years. I deploy human shields to go do that early evaluation and report back to me. And most of the products that I'm involved with buying, I never actually meet the salesperson until later stage. So we know this to be the case, but our sales reps meet with somebody and then hope they bring in power and don't want to offend them. So you really have to double down on this concept that that's not your champion until they prove themselves to be your champion. It's just another employee at that company that you don't really know that well yet. And you need to train your sales reps to interview that person, pull out the information, give them one week to actually act like a champion. If they don't, immediately drop a cross-organization campaign with the new information that you Dope, man. Listen, three actionable things. We're going to dig into the first one right here. Now, listen, Pipeline Cures All Ills. We know this. Most founders didn't start their careers SDRs. They're demand gen people. Like, give me the number one way that you want a founder to build pipeline that, you know, you've seen all this across all, all these different companies, Joe. Like, what are you seeing actually works for founders to do this? So, you know, this is, this is really interesting for me because... I work in a, in a seed VC fund. So all of the deals that we're in, we're first money in the door. We do pre-seed, we do seed investments. We're talking about like five person teams and it's all built on AI or ML. So we invest in enterprise grade software built on it, built on AI or ML. These founding teams are like really technical. I'm talking like Harvard educated, MIT grads, like venture backed and, and launching AI built applications for data infrastructure, cybersecurity. So they're literal geniuses but they've never done cold campaigns before. So my, my coaching, my strategy, it's like really down to basics. And I give two key pieces of advice to every founder. The first one is it doesn't actually matter how good your product is when you're looking for your zero to one, zero to $2 million journey. It matters how much pipeline you have. 
And the best product doesn't always win in the early stage. It's the, it's the founder that secures the right angel investors, the right thought leader advisors, the right, you know, VCs that actually do demand gen and, and, and meeting setting for them. And even with a bad conversion rate, you can limp into a, into a series A versus focusing exclusively on your technology, which does matter. But then just assuming, you know, like if I build it, they're going to find out about it and show up. You need hardcore demand gen. And the other, the, you know, really important lesson that I focus on with founders is they look what salespeople do. And now that they're selling for the first time in their career, they emulate what they think salespeople do. So they write really verbose emails and they, and they, they, they write in the style of a mature enterprise company, but that's not who they are. So it's almost like they're removing what's interesting about themselves to look like a salesperson. And so you take somebody who's HBS grad, raised venture money, has an article about them in Forbes, and they don't lead with that. They instead lead with, dear sir or madam, we're helping companies like you achieve ROI. And the audience doesn't realize they're getting a cold email from an actual founder. It reads like they're getting an email from a BDR. So a lot of times with founders, what I have to get them to do is like slow down and stop acting like they're doing sales and instead leverage what's interesting and exciting about them and, and go build like an earnest, genuine relationship with the would-be users and markets that they want to serve and, and kind of like, you know, go ask for a customer, you're going to get some advice, but go ask for some advice and you might surprise yourself and find some customers in there. So lead with what's interesting about you and prioritize demand gen really aggressively are the two things that I work with our early stage founders on in, in terms of making sure they don't squander their seat. Yeah, Joe, it's, it's really funny. To the point around the best product doesn't always win, very rarely is a startup started with zero competitors. There's almost always something that's at least a little bit close, and that product by definition is almost always farther ahead. I want to go back to this first founder-led outbound campaign. I'm curious, if you're advising a founder who doesn't even have their first customers, what is the main way to get those first customers? Is it a cab campaign, a customer advisory board campaign? Is it cold email? Should they be investing in content and wait for the leads to come to them? How do you think about the first couple customers outbound? Dang, Arvon. I, I thought I was just going to give some story like that one and you would say I'm dropping real knowledge, but you're really going to push me to be specific. So I'm, I'm going to tell you really specifically, what works right now for founders is LinkedIn over email, hard stop. You know, it's 100% open rate. You do a connection request to somebody, you add a note to it. The note in the connection request, they're going to read it even if they don't accept. 35% of people accept all LinkedIn connects no matter what. So that gives you an opportunity to continue messaging them. So build really smart target audiences on Sales Navigator and then action like 100 connection requests a week with a very specific segmented message. Abandon email with 1% reply rates, abandon SEO, abandon things that take a long time to come back to you. And just build really smart, theoretical market segments that you're going to beachhead into. And so I've got a company in my portfolio right now that is gone fundraising and they, they wanted to do like a practice pitch to us. You know, we led their pre-seed and we're going to lead their seed and we're going to help them raise or like fill out the rest of the round. So they're practicing the pitch on us. And the founder says, you know, we're having success with manufacturing as, as a beachhead, but like specifically manufacturing that's ramping up seasonal employee count, 
So maybe going into the summer, they want to they want to produce more product, or maybe going into the winter, they have to you know so they hire a bunch of factory workers. Those people need to be trained and monitored. That's what our product helps with. Okay, cool, good to know. I open up ChatGPT and I, I just ask, hey, what are the seasonal manufacturing in North America? And it's like toy manufacturing, chocolate, you know, and it's like, and it's telling you when and why they're seasonal. And I'm like, okay, who in a factory cares about efficiency, like, you know, pro production per employee? Uh, what, what, are the, what are the main drivers for, for a line manager in fact? And they're like quality control engineer, process engineer, like, and there are all these roles you've never heard of. So I said, great, I've got 10 industries, 20 companies per industry. I've got four roles per company, like, Move that over into sales nav, and it's literally 1,500 humans now. On one sentence, we're having success with seasonal factories. So you can literally just kind of take a hunch and build out 13 weeks worth of outbound and then drive real net new meetings based off this theory you have. And the conversation's not, you need to buy my product. No, the conversation's like, here are my credentials. Here's what I'm building. Here's my funding. Here's why I'm legitimate. And here's why I want to devote all of this education and money and desire into your role and your day-to-day -day problem. And I'm looking for friends. Damn, that's a hell of a lot better of a sales meeting to take than some sales rep trying to hammer you and, and, and buy the product. Well, you just laid out, this is what I'm thinking if I'm a founder, is that's going to take me a few hours to figure out my ICP, a few hours to get it loaded in a little sync sales nap. I'm going to constantly have to find stuff. All these messages are going to take time to write like 20 hours a week towards building my pipeline and I'm not running the company. So Joe, tell me how to blow that mindset up if you're a founder. Yeah, yeah, totally. Spend no time on it. Drive no pipeline. Have no customers. <laughs> your company before you raise the series. There's choices here, people. <laughs> Do meetings or let your company die on the vine. Like you don't have a freaking choice. So now it's a matter of like, how can I spot the most time-consuming pieces of this and then outsource, automate, whatever, those pieces? And so a lot of times what I do is I have a full-time BDR that works for me here at Glasswing Ventures, and I deploy her into our, our companies. And so she's supporting like six of our companies right now doing outbound for the founders there. I then, you know, I use that to kind of teach and wean the founder off of my BDR. And we either hire from Oceans, Prep for Prep, the mom project, like these really like mission-driven female employee workforces or like underprivileged community workforces. And we tap them and we hire interns, EAs, entry-level employees to support a founder. So I've got one company called Oceans, which will refer Sri Lankan employees, full-time employees. It's like 35 grand for a full-time employee. So it's like half the price of a BDR, but they're doing full-time work. And it's like, you know, English speaking, like tech enabled or for prep hires, kids from the inner city, there's like, as they're in college, but like they're testing really well. So they've got like a, you know, underprivileged neighborhood workforce of kids that are going to graduate and command hundred, $200,000 a year jobs in six months, but they're still a college senior. So you can work with them, right? Or just use automation. Like, you know, I use Phantom Buster on LinkedIn. I use chat GPT, like I mentioned. And, you know, so some combo of, of, of like robots and entry level, you know, second nation employee, employee forces. And, you know, I didn't spend much launching reprise. I'll tell you that much in our bucks to sales navigator and like, you know, 20 hours a week to a college intern. And, and we were at a million in revenue. So <laughs> you could do this. Mark, I'm curious, 
you had the opportunity to sell from the very, very, very early days. And my guess is when you were early at outreach, closing their first deals, it wasn't just Mark versus the universe reporting back what was happening in the market to a CEO. So did you have a similar motion to what Joe's describing as it pertains to how you sold with a CEO? Was it different and your CEO didn't want to be involved at all? How did you balance that first sales hire and CEO relationship in the early days? So listen, I sat from in the very beginning from about 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern every day, well, four days a week at my kids' gymnastics practice in the parking lot, pirating Wi-Fi and doing Zoom calls to close the first couple hundred thousand dollars outreach stuff. So that was me doing that. Manny was doing a lot of the messaging and talking and evangelizing and fundraising and all that in separate non-sales conversations. And when we would kind of swap notes on what was working and what wasn't working and and how are we doing it? I will say though that here's something that I think elevated us as sellers and set the sales culture the right way at Outreach, which was we had a game, Manny and I played called Laptop Closed. And Laptop Closed meant how long can you keep your laptop closed in a meeting before you have to show the product to get a signature? We would just hold out on showing the product as long as we could, just have the real conversation about pain and how we solve it and explain what Outreach was. And both of us got pretty damn good about closing deals without even ever showing the product. Then we brought the, the team in. We started saying, listen, laptop closed. Like if you got to show the product to sell it, then you're not selling it. And then we can just figure out somebody that can show the product and collect dollars. That's not what we need to do here. So that was a huge thing that we did. But I would say like, I remember we did our first $25,000 deal at Outreach and it was just so happened to be at our first like little offsite. There's three or four reps there. This is a deal I've been working for a long time before we hired anybody. Manny's on it. We're doing the call, the closing call in front of the team and most of the rest of the company just to get everybody pumped about this huge first deal. And Manny says, and we'll give you every user for free for $25,000 forever. And I was like, oh, and that's when we kind of formally moved Manny to the CEO role and out of founder-led sales. <laughs> Mark, when I joined Chorus, right, I don't want to get out of school here, but when I joined Chorus, man, they had famous logos. Like, I yeah. couldn't believe it when they started saying, we had 70 customers at the time, but they were like juicy customers and the revenue was under a million total. And I was like, these things don't foot, right? These things don't make sense. And I looked in there and they had ELA, Elastic Site, like Enterprise License, right? Like across the, every, every user for free, $5,000 for the year. And, you know, I joined the company month. We were like on a couple of them, three months away from renewal. And I drew that short straw where I had to call someone, introduce myself. I'm the new sales leader at Corpus. And I wanted to, I wanted to meet you before your renewal. You're bright. You know, everything's great. You know, we love you as a customer. You're going to go from $5,000 to $125,000. But the good news is that represents a 30% discount off our list. <laughs> hey, and I think this actually gets us to a good point talking about founder-led sales. Like, Joe, what are you telling people around like, all right, I got to get those first founding customers in here. I'm going to have to give them some commercial leeway because we're buying something that's unknown versus what do you transition to like, hey, we have a pricing sheet. We got to stay somewhat close yeah. to it. Like, how, how do you help people navigate that part of it? Probably not before you have product market fit. You know, so probably not before the Series A and probably a lot later than you think you have to do it and a lot later than your other investors and advisors are telling you that you have to do it. <laughs> Sometimes, Mark, I'm like the anti-VC 
because, you know, I'm just 20 years in sales leadership and now I'm a, I'm a sales advisor employed by a VC fund, but that doesn't make me one of these like term sheet looking at people, you know, I'm still just about getting to the outcome that you need to get to. So here's, here's what I did at Reprise. Well, I'll start what I did at Chorus is I just leaned into it. I said, okay, these like flat rate deals get people to sign. There, there's still skepticism. It's an emerging category. It's not a known category yet. So I'll do these wonky year one deals and I'll open it up and I'll say you could use it company-wide, flat rate. Whatever you sign on for in year one, you can use it company-wide. But six months into the first year, we review your usage. And nine months into the first year, we sign year two's deal. And what ended up happening there is I got people to try it in different departments and try it for different use cases than they would have if I really clung to the, the core pricing model. And so I was able to like do a loss leader like Turkey around Thanksgiving you know, and sell all the sides. So I was letting people kind of have unfair agreements in year one. We had fresh funding like flush with cash. And then I was tripling, forexing, you know, contract values in year two. So then when I launched Reprise, I was just honest with people. I don't know how this category is going to price. Is it per seller? Is it per, you know, demo we create, like per unit, per usage, per employee? Like, how are we going to price it? So I'll tell you what, I know my price point's 50K. I was launching 50K and I did my first six deals at 50K a piece. And so I'd say 50K flat rate. I don't care what happens in the product that's flat. And then halfway through this agreement, we're going to figure out our pricing model and I'll come back to you and we'll negotiate year two. And that actually worked really well too, because people taking flyers on like, you know, it's not a proven product yet, but they're like taking it. It's almost like a paid experiment in year one. They want to know their exposure is capped. So flat rate is sexy to a buyer of a zero to $2 million product. Like flat rate is sexy to someone testing a new idea out. And that encourages them to open it up to, to new users and get new eyes on it. And it almost like presets the renegotiation for year two. So remove the fear from getting the deal done, enable massive viral expansion of, of use, and then pre-secure uh, an, a, like an eye-to-eye genuine renegotiation. You're kind of kicking the can down the road and you're not like setting your price in year one, but you know, you'll get more deals done and they'll grow faster. And ultimately I think it's more revenue. So lean into quote bad deals, especially as a founder, you know, for you, I could do this, right. And, and get some like weird favors in exchange. Like they speak on a webinar, they, they give you a case study, stuff like that. So wheel and deal as a founder, wheel and deal, right, right, right to the time the board tells you they're going to remove you if you keep wheeling and dealing. Well, I think there are two pieces of this that you guys have both pointed out. And it all comes down to when you're doing founder-led sales, you don't want to lock in before you actually understand where this product and this business is going. So when you talk about the laptop close game, right? the reason you don't show demo early on is oftentimes at PAVE, they would be talking about a problem that we wanted to solve in three months. We were like, oh, shoot. That's where our product needs to go. And that was actually the juicy problem that we needed to pull us into product market fit. And so we were huge fans of the no software sale because the product that we had today, the moment we were in demo, there were only so many things we could show them. There were only so many problems we could solve. But without the demo, we could solve any problem in the freaking world. And we certainly did. And it drove our engineers crazy. But that pulled us into product market fit. And then to your point, Joe, I think of the first 100 deals that we sold, maybe five had any sort of rate card that mapped out future year pricing. And it was like a 
it was a very juicy renewal cap at most. And the reason is year one, I'm going to give you the sweetest deal in the world, right? The sweetest deal in the world. And year two, I'm going to keep you with the product, not with the contract. So if you're overcomplicating these three-year, four-year, five-year deals, I see these like early stage sales teams trying to sign these like four-year deals. You don't even know if this product is going to exist anymore, guys. What are you doing? Yeah. Armand, I used to keep a, a Slack channel open to your point about, about not really knowing what product market fit is in, in early stages. I'd get on a call with somebody and I'd say, hey, like we've raised some money. We're, we're exiting stealth mode this winter. Right now, I'm just kind of getting feedback from your job title. So let me kind of like talk you through what we're building here, riff with you. And I, I want to know, like, is your industry a good industry to beachhead? Is your role the right user? Like, am I explaining this problem right? Help me out. Give me a pre-half hour. And that's the context of a lot of my early sales pitches when I launch a company. So I get on the call and not, do you want to buy this? But can you help me identify if I'm building this for you or, or someone else? It's a, it's a much more interesting conversation to have. People like that. And in that conversation, they say, you know, Joe, like, I don't need your product here now, but you should have called me at my last company because insert scenario, insert dynamic, insert whatever. At that industry, at that company, at that, and my last job, we had this problem you should have called. And so I'm taking all these meetings, not to close every deal I talk to, but to walk away and go, seasonal manufacturing, you know, or whatever like the new aha might be. And then I get to work and I go generate 50 meetings in that cohort. And I go, you know, Armand, I was talking to the role at company two weeks ago and they said something interesting. And that's why I reached out to you. Can I validate that at your industry, your segment, your, you know what I mean? That exists. And now again, I'm actually going for a close here. I'm doing an actual sale where I'm like, I believe this, you have this issue. If so, can we, you know, like I'm really going with like customer testimonial led, like second generation prospect. You look like a deal of mine, but it's more like you look like a deal this prospect described. And again, I'm a founder, I'm venture back, I'm about to launch. I just want a friendly chat. Should I launch with you? And so again, even though now I'm going for deals, I'm still doing that friendly, affable. I'm a venture back founder. Isn't that interesting? And the audience is saying, yeah, it is interesting. And yeah, I'll give you an honest ear and listen to what you're saying and then tell you, yeah, my business is like that. I do have that challenge. That last person you talked to is right. And maybe I should be in your mid funnel. And they'll invite themselves into evaluation if you do it that way. So that's, that's me on early stage sales is intentionally lose deals to learn the deals you could win and then go tell them that story. Hey, your peer from another company said you should buy my product. That's interesting. The conversations are the value though, right, Joe? Like that, that's the thing is early stage, the conversations are the value. The wins will follow good conversations. Yeah, 100%, especially if you're willing to have enough of those conversations. But again, that goes back to, to like, I mean, you guys called it out and I know you're kind of devil's advocating the question of like, how much time do I have to do demand gen? I'm going to build a real business. And it's like, I don't care if you manually send emails or pay someone to do it. You know, I don't care if you actually write like deep, thoughtful content or you use ChatGPT. I don't care how you get this done. But the reality is like you're going to need a couple of hundred conversations, like a couple of hundred actual logos to show up on a Zoom meeting with you for you to generate 20 customers. You know what I mean? Like if you think you're going to convert more than 10% when industry, like best practice win rates in this business are like 25%. 
And that's what the company that has a fully mature product and understanding of their target market and great collateral to support a well-trained sales team, and they're converting 25% of deals. So if you're going to come out here with an MVP, with no SOC 2, like no reputation, no demand gen, nothing, and think you're going to convert more than like 5 or 10% of your conversations, you're nuts. So how will you have 300 meetings in the next 18 months? Right? Like that's the only question you have to ask yourself. Not will I do it, but like how will I do it? Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to fail. I know how. <laughs> you use AI, which gets us to your second point, Joe. All right. So listen, I just did a post yesterday. It has almost a thousand likes now, well over a couple hundred thousand impressions and where I talk about some new AI tools that I've heard that are just like, I think really going to make a big impact on the sales function. So what are a couple of tools? What are a couple workflows? Like you're a young founder. What would you kind of do to get started with some AI stuff? Because you say you got to jump in the AI pool. Don't like dip your toe in, like go ahead and jump in, right? Yeah. I've got, so I'm actually building out like a, a small presentation for the founders in our portfolio. It's, it's in the first week in November, you know, we're going to bring them down to a, uh, to like a venue in Southern New Hampshire and, and give them this presentation about like what, what AI exists in a sales stack right now. And then, you know, have a nice like meal together. It's just one of the things you do as a VC fund for the founders of the portfolio. And the presentation I'm going to give them breaks down Gen AI in a sales stack into four categories, you know, demand gen, AE work or mid-funnel work, expansion, and then insights and reporting. And because we're a seed fund, we're less focused on expansion monitoring, you know, because we're looking for that first $2 million in revenue, most of, our most of our companies. And we're also less focused on like advanced insight and analytics, like a company like a modern Insight Squared, right? Like a, like a Gen AI enabled Insight Squared or, or a, a Gen AI enabled, you know, expansion monitoring tool. So we're, we're less focused on that for this presentation. We're more focused on demand gen and AE mid funnel work. And for me, I think that the demand gen category, what's most interesting is an ability to build a real account list, not living off a legacy like filters and fields. You know, it's so like we grew off, we graduated off SIC codes two decades ago. And we've never really replaced it. Like I want, I want this type of business with this nuance and, and, and these details. You can't do that filtering sales nav or, or buying a list off, off your list providers right now. So like doing really, really smart account list building is interesting to me. And then getting beyond that to like who and how can I get that meeting? So there's a lot of entrance right now on, on like who and how should I prospect? Not like, not Lavender Reggie writing email, but like, you know, finding the human being, finding a trigger and then suggesting like, don't email that person, have your boss email that person, right? It's like, that's an interesting one for me. I'm less geeked out about like drafting good email because you could do it on ChatGPT. You could do it in SalesLoft Outreach Gong. Like everyone is drafting email. So I don't care about that. So demand gen for me, it's finding good accounts, finding good humans and triggers. On the AE stuff, you know, Gartner and McKinsey are saying that like 50% of, of buyers are going to engage with digital deal rooms within the next two years. And that's all buyers. So never mind buyers of like high tech. So your SaaS buyer is going to be conditioned within the next two years to see a, you know, doc send room where you can engage. And in there is going to be a recording of your meeting and, you know, a case study and the pitch deck and the ROI model and all of your written collateral is going to be consumed asynchronously. And so for me, I think value engineering 
is an incredibly interesting category where you can take your existing sales collateral. So you learn the tone of your, of your value prop, and then you can look deal by deal, read the transcripts, read the emails, like look at Google news alert about the prospect you're selling to, and then look at the stage they're in in the CRM and tailor the stage appropriate sales collateral and deliver it to the prospect. Oh man, right? So I, I, I look at that as somebody who's always lamented getting reps to do what he says. This is beautiful. Take transcripts and emails and fill in the CRM and, and properly forecast and then alert teammates to like sales needs. Like this team needs discounting training or this deal needs a sales engineer or this product needs feature. But like everything we were supposed to do, go be the front line, talk to the customer, put it in the CRM and, and, and bring it to the business. We don't do that as salespeople. And with Gen AI, it's going to happen. So all of that like mid-funnel, collaborative, closing deal stuff, anything you could do with Google News, transcripts, and, and email exchanges to help the business and the rep win deals and, and, and win more deals. Oh, man, am I excited about that stuff. So I'm, I'm in like a really interesting like, you know, buffet of really, really interesting sales tech with this explosion of, of Gen AI, it's like, it's a crazy time to work at, a, at, a, at an AI-focused CPC fund. <laughs> like, it's very, very enjoyable right now. Unbelievable. Uh, well, Joe, a round four. Unfortunately, even though it is your fourth round on 30 Minutes to President's Club, it is not 40 Minutes to President's Club, so we have to call it a show with our final question. And the final question is... Joe, what is one thing that a sales leader, or maybe in this case, a founder running a mini sales team, what is one bad habit that a sales leader should break, stop doing immediately, that would make every revenue organization in the world a little bit better? Stop sending campaigns before you manually clean your list. Do not send dear sir, do not send Joe rocket ship, do not send emails to salespeople that work for your competitor. Because you didn't take the time to just purge the list. Look at the first 20 people on the list. And if you're not 18 out of 20 are a match, you have more filtering to do to get your list right. Stop sending embarrassing emails. This is a rant to myself, by the way, Armand. <laughs> I've enjoyed the public rant, the rant to yourself. And everyone, hang on for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Cheers. This actionable tactic on selling to power is sponsored by SalesLoft. Don't start from zero when a champion introduces you to power. Explain the three to four priorities you learn from the champion, but then ask them to validate what's really important to them or what we missed. And we partnered with SalesLoft to give you a whole bunch of talk tracks on selling to power. The link is in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? 
And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Today's sales email tip is brought to you by Lavender. If you want to get more replies to your sales emails, try removing exclamation points and question marks from your email subject lines. They cause open rates to plummet. Instead, make the subject line feel internal. It should be short, one to three words, and it should showcase the topic of the email, but also be about them. We sat down with Lavender and built a sales email framework guide with emails for every step of your sales process. And there is a link in the show notes to get it for free. All righty, Mark. What'd you think? Listen. I thought it was uh, good. I think, you know, Joe has a unique perspective as an early employee at Insight Squared, as an early sales leader at Chorus, as one of the founders of a reprise. I think that he has a unique perspective on how to get a company started and get that early momentum so that you can get the funding you need to find your real footing and get going. And I think he talks a lot about that in this episode. Yeah, I think the most important concept is whether it was the early outbound campaigns or the ways that he's advising founders to do discovery calls, your goal is to test a list of accounts, certain personas on those accounts, and certain triggers or problems. He talked about manufacturing, seasonality, these titles, and these times of year, these problems. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. Cross it off the list and move to the next one. Use your outbound and use your discovery calls as a mechanism to cross ICP candidates off the list and figure out what works and then triple down on that. But the only way you can do that is by having 300 conversations. Conversations are the key at this stage. And I think that he kind of walks us through ways to create those conversations that help you understand, what do I need to do differently? Who do I need to approach that I haven't approached? What use case... It's actually what I'm trying to solve, not what I first came in with that opinion on. And so I think that Joey Caps does a really awesome job of kind of walking us through that. But, you know, I think that what really stuck out to me is the fact that he's like, listen, you can do a lot of stuff as a founder, but if you don't have conversations to get customers in the door, everything else does not matter. And that's where you got to start as a founder. You got to figure out how to find the time to get these conversations booked and then to have them and learn from them. Because you can go off building a product, the perfect product dies without customers and conversations. That's right, folks. And this is a pretty timely one. So the last thing that we will leave as an ask to the audience is, I forget if it's going to come after or before the publish of this episode, but if it's after it, there's a founder series webinar that we're actually running on the path from zero to 10 million bucks of ARR. And it's actually with me and the PAVE CEO and the first two sales hires, Killian and Morgan. So I would go check that out. If it's already after that date, the show note for the on-demand will contain the on-demand link, but it may actually be coming in a week or so. So you may be able to tune into that as well. Alrighty, folks, we will catch you soon on the next episode of 30 NPC. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. 
Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.